Season 3, Episode 2 of Strange Brow Radio. My name's Tobe Johnson. Thanks for tuning in, sharing, subscribing, all that good stuff. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including over at YouTube. I want to thank our sponsor, our new sponsors over at MetallicMonsters.com. Metal 3D monsters of all shapes, sizes, and varieties. Whether it's for role-playing Magic the Gathering or Dungeons and Dragons, making a comeback, or just setting on your bookshelf, check out MetallicMonsters.com. You've seen us work with them before. You know what they can do. Go check them out. All right. We've got a great guest for you today. More on David Bacara in a moment. We'll be right back. All right, so we are in the full swing of a major heat wave out here in the Pacific Northwest. So when I was editing this, know that uh, I was doing it fairly early before the sun broke over the Olympic mountain tops and scorched the earth here. I think 113 degrees near me in Portland, Oregon, 111 in Seattle, Washington. So uh, we are going to find ourselves by a place of water which as the masks are coming off here and the endemic ensues looks like everything else will be coming off with the mask here in toad due to this unnatural heat wave and also a burgeoning fire season which is a new term i never grew up with a fire season before but looks like that's well underway as, as well so I wanted to talk to you about the last show we did, Season 3, Episode 1, largely on the UFO phenomena, and since then, the unclassified assessment from the Pentagon came out, I believe, on Friday, June 25th, which was a whopping nine pages given out to the public to download. Yes, you can go download it now and read it for yourself. UFOs are real, but... The Pentagon's approach is very typical. In these nine pages, it's more of a plea for financing and money to combat what they call a new aerial threat. They use that word over and over within these nine pages, six of which actually have to do with this assessment. And they do use the word weather balloons or balloons in general, weather anomaly or calibration to blame some of these DOD sightings. But what I learned via Spaced Out Radio, which had a really great panel. I, I urge you to go check out the large panel that they had after the 25th. Um, fast forward, if you want to go to this part here, within, I think, 29 minutes uh, or so, they go to a commercial break, and uh, one of the panelists actually reveals or breaks via some of the contacts he has uh, that are on the National Security Council or within Congress, apparently there was a classified briefing and it was over 70 pages or 70 pages exactly having to do with the UFO phenomena and 40 minutes of what they called science fiction movies. I believe there was 14 videos that were shown in this classified briefing. So there is the contrast between the two worlds. It's just like 
the laser on the floor for the kitty cat. They dash it across the floor. The public all looks. They distract you with new and exciting stories to follow like Britney Spears. <laughs> but I'm asking you to uh, you know, stay tuned for this one here because I think that there will be public hearings on this. If not so, you know, tantamount to being shown on C-SPAN, this, I think, is coming. And if it's not Marco Rubio pushing for it, it should be you. So go check out these nine pages and get some confirmation on what I heard on Spaced Out Radio about these 70 pages and 40 minutes of uh, 14 different videos shown of what they're calling science fiction movies. So it's... uh, it's all largely unconfirmed, but I, I think that, you know, that sounds about right to me. When I went over these nine pages, I was, you know, depressed over a lot of it, but uh, it just got comical when they said that most of the weighty UFO evidence uh, that they had to look at was from all the way back to 2004 and that uh, they needed to look from 2004 to where we are now at these some hundred and some cases of uh, UAP phenomena to evaluate them and we all know that it goes back much much longer also in other news I do want to mention that there is a new Sasquatch museum destination arriving being built right now in the town of Forks Washington Yet the home of Twilight is now going to not only have vampires, werewolves, but rightly so, a Sasquatch museum right on 101. And I think the time frame for opening the doors is going to be sometime in late September, early October. So I don't know if it has a name yet. Uh, I'll hear, you know, I'll probably go out there and do a remote, talk to the owner. I've already talked to the owner and... Um, We are working on a a project together, and as soon as I get some more confirmation on delivery dates and how this is going to work, I'll tell you what we're doing, what I'm doing personally to help out this Sasquatch Museum. Also, I just got back from uh, Northern State Mental Asylum, a.k.a. The Farm, and did my hour and a half, two hours out there. Now... There were some people, usually this is a vacant place, but I've never been out there in summer after high school uh, was out. So for me, uh, there was a few people running around the farm as well as me. So I didn't go as long as I'd like to. Still got some really interesting footage. And uh, if you heard a couple podcasts back about some of the craziness that happened at this place on a personal level, then... It's, uh, it's a really scary place for me, for me to return to, but I did, and I did so with the uh, color night vision, which I put on a gimbal, which was the way to go because it's a very small camera and you can't hold it steady that long. So um, really beautiful footage actually from this place. As beautiful as you can make a creepy abandoned mental asylum farm, uh, <laughs> I think I did it. Also, one other thing, we are doing our live events again and they're going to start in October now the soft date pencil this in is going to be October 27th Wednesday I believe it's a Wednesday evening starting around 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time 
And so this will be your chance to come to a legit haunted castle overlooking the Juan de Fuca in Canada in Port Townsend, Washington. I know it's on a Wednesday, very difficult for a lot of nine to fivers, but if you can, uh, we're going to have a, a heavy show. It'll be one of our heavy segments. Not going to exactly tell you who the guests are going to be or what we're going to talk about, but it should be a lot of fun. There might even be some fireworks. So we'll see. Uh, that's coming up on October 27th, and I will keep you abreast. But check out manresacastle.com and all that uh, has happened there as far as the, the remodel, which is happening as we speak. So stay tuned for that. All right. Our guest today is David Bacara of Expedition Bigfoot, the Sasquatch Museum. You can find him over in Cherry Log, Georgia. There's also, I believe, a secondary Sasquatch Museum, maybe leaning more to the paranormal uh, going in as well. And I talked to David about that. But, you know, David has been one of these guys. I see him periodically responding to things on social media. I respond to things on his, on his area and social media. He gets a lot of incredible Bigfoot sighting reports coming to him. Every day they get stuff. And we go down the rabbit hole together and uh, talk about some of the uh, elements, the stranger elements of not only Sasquatch, but owning a museum with Sasquatch artifacts. That's got to be pretty strange. Maybe even strange stuff happens in the museum. So really great conversation. Uh, I urge you also to uh, check out if you're watching this on YouTube. Great. Subscribe, all that good stuff. If you're listening to it, go check out our YouTube channel too, because this is a, a Zoom video call with David from his property as we talk about his museum and the future of the Expedition Bigfoot Sasquatch Museum. So without further ado, my conversation with David. All right, my guest today is David Bacara, owner of Expedition Bigfoot, the Sasquatch Museum in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Hello, David. Hey, Toby, how are you today? Good to have you, man. Looks like a, a serene background there, and uh, we'll try to keep it serene as we go down the darkened roads of Sasquatch. And you and I have corresponded off and on, uh, back and forth over social media, but really, I've never met you outside of social media. This is certainly the first time we've ever talked, so thanks for doing that. Hey, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah. So your passion is on your chest. I can see that uh, fixed to you, your medallion, your brilliant logo there, which I think speaks to uh, the native combination of the traditional Sasquatch combined with maybe popular media of what people have seen and uh, witness descriptions. So let's let's start with your passion looking into the world of Sasquatch and how a guy like you starts a museum. Well, I, I tell you, it, um, my passion started when I was a kid growing up in South Florida and I was seeing all these stories about the Florida skunk ape on TV and newspapers. And it was all over the place when I was growing up. It wasn't every once in a while. It, it, I was hearing it all the time. And uh, nobody was laughing about it. So my young, impressionable mind started picking up on these things. They were talking about this skunk ape in seven, eight, nine feet tall. And I was in school at the time. So, you know, we were, we were learning about a theory of evolution and, Everything ever they were teaching me in school completely contradicted this whole Bigfoot thing. And I think that's what really got me super interested. So ever since I was a kid, 
right? I was always looking into it, uh, reading all kinds of books. And I was also reading a lot of UFO books as well. Not just UFO books, but John Mack and some uh, David Jacobs, Dr. David Jacobs. He's got some great stuff out there. So I was really into UFOs. Then I kind of went, I, I went into the Bigfoot field because I had thought I had a better chance of seeing one or finding one, of course, because you weren't going to find a UFO up in the sky, but I had a better chance of finding Bigfoot on the ground. Well, I was wrong about that. So uh, when I moved up here to Georgia about eight years ago, there were very few sightings up here in the North Georgia mountains, very few. And uh, I was back in the restaurant business. People kept asking me, hey, Dave, my, my kids are coming up. What's a good thing to do with my kids and my grandkids and my nieces? Really wasn't that much to do, even though it's a, a vacation town. And I saw a building. I was thinking about building a, a little traveling museum. And, uh, but then this building came up and I, for rent right between my house and Blue Ridge. So I started sketching out some exhibits. I had a few, I had quite a few things, but not enough to open a museum. And I sat down with my wife and we, we kind of drew out the building. And I, and I said, let's just try it. Let's try to build a museum, but not like a Bigfoot museum, like some of them that are out there, but more like my, my loves, which was Disneyland or Disney World and uh, old Florida attractions. Let's bring some of that into it. And I think that's probably what's made it as popular as it is, is that it's not just like your grandpa's museum. There's lots to hear. So as you get out of your car, you're already hearing uh, the museum. And uh, around every corner, there's, there's uh, uh, people talking, there's music, there's a movie playing, there's all kinds of things going on. So um, I think that's what really gets those young people. If you, if you can't get the young kids interested, in your museum, they're going to lose interest quick and want to go. But in fact, we get so many people that have been there two and three times already, which is, I'm surprised. And this year we should be doing about 75,000 people this year. It's a, it looks immersive, David. It looks like a place that you walk into where there is um, everything but the smell of Bigfoot coming at you. So uh, talk to people about, um, it, whether or not you did this all by yourself. I mean, you said you sketched this. Did you hire some people to come in and uh, talk to you about a different way to do yeah, this? Yeah, so um, we had the building, which was an old bar. And uh, I, been, I was a, in the bar business for 20 years. And uh, so we, it, we had the whole thing stripped up. We hired a crew to come in and strip everything out, put new carpet. We had walls put in, interior walls. And then uh, because nobody had built the Bigfoot Museum, which was a, a family attraction. Everything really had to be built by hand. So all the sound domes, I had to figure out how to work TVs and loop videos. Some software and TVs won't do it. You had to learn the hard way, which kind of TVs to get. Um, uh, oh my goodness. And, and to get that rustic feel in there. And I think um, the theming is extremely important to you because not everybody's interested in Bigfoot when they come in there. So you gotta have to kind of keep those people entertained as well. But um yeah, around, I mean, just every square corner, everywhere you turn, there's an exhibit. You don't have to walk about five feet in front of another exhibit. It's jam-packed full right now. And most of it was was uh, donated by other Bigfoot researchers. I reached out there and they all had something to donate. And uh, and, and I don't, I think what really gets people is when you see, I, I want to see the totality of it, but there's only, I've only got uh, 6,000 square feet that's not the totality. I, I right. have more than what's in my museum and storage for another museum. We're getting ready to open 
But once you see so much information jammed together, it's hard to really brush it off when you see so much. When people leave there, almost there, I get so many people that go, I, I came here thinking this was going to be a joke, but he says, I, I don't think so anymore. And then I've done my job. Have you had any interesting proprietors walk through your museum that look like they may be interested in it from a G-man level, uh, as though uh, you maybe got what Joe Hauser described as well-dressed men who are very interested in, in his particular museum? You know, I, I have not, and, and I, I kind of expected it. But I'll tell you what, I, I put out there, I, I, and I've said it several times on other podcasts, and I've said it on... Uh, um, I put it on, out there online that if anybody ever brought me mm. solid proof of the existence of Bigfoot, I would tell them just scroll it away and keep your mouth shut. I've had I've had a hunter call me to tell me they've got him on he's got him on his property. He shot one. He's got the blood. He's going to bag this thing. Um, if I, if he gets it, would I help him market? I said not only will I not help you market it, don't don't ever call me again. I said because if you think that they've worked this hard. When I say they, the powers that be, I, I don't know what government, federal agencies in charge of, but if you think they're going to let you prove to the world that these things are real, you're sadly mistaken and they will destroy you. And, and I have too much to live for. So I, I keep it, I keep a, enough evidence where people can look at it and, um, and, and make up their own mind. There's a lot of it, but it, I would never have anything to do with solid proof. I just, I wouldn't even stick my hands in it because I don't think any good can come from it. Not only for the Bigfoot creatures, but I think uh, there's so much baggage that comes with it. The reality of Bigfoot, missing people, really do some of them eat people? Well, some of them do, but not all of them. Well, that's not good enough because if some of them do, we're going to have to get rid of all of them. So that, that's the kind of baggage. All these things take women and mate with them and yeah, some of it, it does happen. In the, oh, well, we got to get rid of all of them. So when I say these things come with a lot of baggage, they come with a lot of baggage. So does everybody in the whole world need to think these, know these things are real? Absolutely not. Now, you have a, a general admission uh, to your facility, your museum there. You won as many people. You said 70,000 expected mm -hmm. coming through. But you have an opinion about this that may go against the grain. Henceforth, um, in your museum, do you have... I know that you believe that there's more going on than flesh and blood. Do you have exhibits dedicated to the paranormal answer of Bigfoot? Do I, you know what? I, I, the paranormal, I, I don't, I don't. And I think because the, when you go to a Bigfoot convention, you get Bigfoot people there. This museum is unlike that. It's really to the general public. But people drive, I get some, we have a little ledger that signs, how'd you hear about it? We were driving by. So you just can't hit people between the eyes with that. All I can do is crack the door open for them and go, wow, these things are real. And they can take it from there. But if you crack the door and then throw a uh, Bigfoot is interdimensional and uh, sometimes they eat people, if you throw all that scary stuff that we don't understand in there, you'd lose them. And, and not because they don't believe it, because it's too terrifying. You just turn them off. So I, I don't have anything in there. I have books in there and DVDs that you can buy for that. But uh, I was careful about keeping it also family friendly. It, it's really a family attraction. That's what it's filled at. So yeah, I could have had animated Bigfoots in there. 
geez, the kids would be terrified. I hear screams back there. It's tough not right now because the music's going. Sometimes you get the kids to go. Once a while you get a kid that won't even go over that threshold. He's fighting. He's not going back there. I said, I'll tell him. There's nothing spooky back there. But for some people, for some children, the thought of these things is terrifying, even at four or five years old. It's just very strange. But um, yeah, so no, I don't have anything like that in there. But if you ask me, if I'm working in there and you ask me for my opinion, and, and I, you're, you're not a novice, I, I'll probably give you give the straight opinion. <laughs> Okay, so this is the way this works in my world. You tell me if this is familiar to you. My audience is familiar with this line. But um, most flesh and blooders will tell you the real story after a couple beers. I imagine people that linger in your museum and maybe are repeat offenders coming back that you eventually become friends with uh, may do the same with you. So let's talk about, first of all, does that sound familiar? Uh, about uh, people hanging around to want, want to tell me their story? Well, going into more detail from the flesh and blood point of view to yeah. the stranger aspects, which is really what I want to get into with you as far as your point of view, where we are now. Now, the people that are invested into a narrative for this subject matter, I believe they hold back. They omit things. Um, you know, they're not liars. They're They've been ridiculed to death already for believing in the strangest branch on the tree, which is the Bigfoot branch. And then you have all these limbs coming off, orbs, UFOs, you know, whatever's going on. So let's talk about um, at what your approach is working with people like this. So yeah, you've got those, um, you've got some people that want to test the waters with me. Um, they're, they're like, they're trying to test me before I can even test them. Yeah, so, um, and, and I get a lot of pastors in there as well that have sightings and stories. So they talk to their, some of their congregation about it. And um, when people, um, yeah, people, some of those, some of the witnesses out there, they're way smarter than we give them credit for because I'll get people there that have seen them and they just start telling me all the things that I already, already know. And I'm like, wow, you're way ahead of, of the group. Matter of fact, I would say that most witnesses are far more advanced in learning about these things than most Bigfoot researchers are. Because when, when you see one, you go digging into it. There's no narrative to stick to. When you see one, you're hungry for the answers. And uh, you're not, you just don't stop with a certain narrative. So um, I would probably say, but I do get researchers in there that want to dig a little deeper and they have questions. And uh, we start talking about things like that. And they start telling me things that their witnesses saw that um, they weren't comfortable with or weren't comfortable with at the time. Then another witness told them something. So there are some good Bigfoot researchers that are asking themselves the hard questions. But I think that many of the witnesses are actually further ahead to learning curve than most Bigfoot researchers are. Earlier, you said that the phenomena can destroy you, which is a powerful thing to say to somebody that is initially looking into the lighthearted subject of a cryptid. Yeah. Uh, you, you look into the sightings of maybe the thylacine or, um, you know, underwater creatures that shouldn't exist. Nobody says that these things are going to destroy you somehow there. And I agree with you. Um, there is something unique about looking into Bigfoot akin to looking into, 
UFOs, maybe not so much ghosts because everyone generally agrees that those exist. And now with the UFOs and the Pentagon, we're all slowly learning that yes, those exist too. What is it about this that you think can destroy you besides other Bigfooters? Well, I've got a couple of friends who are, UFO, who are Bigfoot researchers and, and we're probably in this when I first started uh, back in 2000, I guess uh, I became an investigator in 2010 and that's when everything blew. When you start talking to real witnesses, you're not getting it out of a book. It'll, your mind will just get blown when they start telling you things. Um, I, but I know some good researchers have that once they got deep into this, they lost their job, they lost their marriage. Um, like that, you become so obsessed with it. Um, you're out there every weekend, and I was doing a lot of that as well. Uh, I was out there every weekend putting trail cameras on every other weekend. I was driving seven hours to North Florida, and I, and I think it become it can become completely obsessed with it. It's difficult. And if your mate, your wife, or your husband isn't on board with you, it can have a serious, um, can have a serious uh, impact on your marriage, on your that cohesiveness, because that person, you, you can't drag him in with you, but you're not going to give it up. So, uh, yeah, there's no doubt that luckily when my wife and I, when I started doing investigations, she gave me a little bit of a hard time. I said, just come with me. And they had our first investigation. We actually both saw one uh, in, in a fisherman's backyard. And she was like, after that, she was called, she'd be calling me at work going, they have a, a fresh sighting came up uh, on the website. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm at work. I, well, let me tell you about it. I'm like, honey, I'm at work. So, <laughs> It's actually worked great that we can work together as a team. Thank goodness. Not everybody gets that, has that blessing. But um, yeah, this can be, uh, it can be bad for a marriage. And, and some people um, yeah, become so obsessive that they can't even concentrate on their job anymore. I'm sure you know people like that as well. Yeah, well, you're looking at one. And I mean, I've, <laughs> I've spoke at length about how this toys with you um, in a way that almost is... I mean, it seems as though it puts a spell on you. It puts a spell yeah. on your soul to learn about something that has magical powers. And yeah. what crazier thing can I think of than a giant monkey man with That's magical right. powers? Um, do you think that it is a supernatural spell of some kind that's put over man and its ego? Um, you know, I, I think it's um, it's got something to do with that that uh, we, we want to be able to solve it. We, we so badly want to put something we don't understand in, 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 in the four square things we can put our head back down and go to sleep. And I think for, for some people that are very, like a certain personality type, like you, you're an achiever, you know, you're used to results. And uh, the, the further you dig in this, the uh, less results you have. And, and I think once you start interviewing witnesses, Toby, that tell you things, about glowing red eyes. And when I saw it, I only saw the lower half of it. The upper half was completely invisible. Um, I, I saw this thing jump from a standing still, from stance, from a, just jump, from standing there 50 feet up onto a ridge. Didn't even walk. It, it just barely bent his legs for a drop 50 feet out of a tree with its arms coming down the trunk, breaking branches. And when it hit the tree, its legs just bent like it stepped, like you and I would step off a curve. It was running 55 miles per hour next to my truck, or it was running 50 miles per in front of my car while my son and I were watching it. And this thing didn't look like it was busting a sweat. When you get lucky enough to get those kind of super human 
traits associated with this creature from the amazingly honest witnesses, some in broad daylight. Then you realize that these things have some kind of ability that will precludes us from finding them. Um, they can, when you witnesses tell you that they can be invisible, you, then you step back. And this is what I did. I just stepped back and just stopped doing expeditions mm -hmm. because I, I realized that these things were a couple steps ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, ever since I stopped doing that, my life, my life is normalized. Now I concentrate on interviewing police officers, military, nurses, farmers. That's where I have found my niche. Um, I had two officers in full come right on duty toward the museum today. Uh, military come in and they tell me things, some things I can't, I'll never repeat. And I've had uh, police officers tell me things with the, with the victim's name that I'll never repeat because I love where I live, I love my family, Mm -hmm. And it, it's helped framework my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so solid beliefs backed by, by witness testimony that unfortunately I can't share all of it. Yeah. And you're getting upstaged by a chicken in the background, but that's okay. I like it. Yeah. Um, that's that's got to be a joke in there somewhere. Um, and people really don't understand. Maybe they do to some degree, but when you have a witness or an extended experiencer and trust their position with you, sometimes a very awkward position of talking about this with a uniform on the worst thing you can do is to lose that trust somehow. Cause it, uh, it just travels so quickly in this community. And then, you know, you've lost maybe the most interesting story of your life. Um, so that's, that's great to hear you do that. Uh, looking at your perspective here, David, um, I, you know, you strike me as a guy that, uh, has a, a moral value that you look at the world in a certain way. I've seen some other posts that are similar to mine. I want to digress here to the Pentagon. One of the things that um, Luis Elizondo said from ATIP, the uh, private sector or the private organization in the Pentagon that was looking into UFOs or UAPs, he said that he um, reached a brick wall on more than one occasion with people in DC that didn't want him to look into the UFO phenomena or wouldn't even listen to it because of the religious implications of them being, well, demonic. Have you wandered into that at all? You said some pastors have walked into. Um, obviously, there's pastors out there that will never talk about this, not even at the pulpit. But if they do, they'll immediately go to the Nephilim. They'll go to the book of Genesis and, and you know, regurgitate what it says in the book of Genesis. What is your opinion of that, if you have any? Tell you something. I, I I I don't have a solid opinion on it, but I'm I'm aware of it, and I struggle with it with a demonic thing. I and the uh, now I don't struggle with the nephilim, but I struggle with the the purely demonic thing. And uh, most of my pastors, they're about fifty fifty. Some come in and, and, and it's hundred percent nephilim. Very few actually come in and use the word demon. And uh, I've got prints, I've got a handprint and a footprint from a pastor's backyard. One of them, two of them were, I've been Aslan's wife over in Tennessee that I haven't put on display yet. Um, but when, 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 when I, I, for instance, I spoke to a ginseng hunter who um, was probably in his mid fifties and he was pulling ginseng out of the ground. I'm just giving you the, just giving you an example why I don't think they're a demon. And uh, he was, uh, had, gone down this hill and he was and he was, he was supposed to meet a friend in the ginseng, uh, hunting ginseng and as he's digging up here he here's something coming through the woods 
and uh, he and he doesn't look thinks that he thinks it's his friend changed his mind to come meet him in the woods, and he keeps digging and he thinks that's strange. He stopped right behind me. He says I turn around and there is this thing, this red Sasquatch, and it looks to be a female. And and, and she 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 looks at me and then she turns away and she's looking off in the woods and she huffs. <laughs> Then looks at me the corner of my eye. I'm still standing there. I'm still sitting there, frozen in this position with my shovel in my hand. I'm just like, what in God's name am I looking at? And she looks back down at me and she, and she looks away and she goes, <clears throat> and then she looks like just through the corner of her eye, looks at him and looks back and he can hear other sounds out in the woods. And he realizes what this female is doing. She's saving his life. He realizes she's warning him to get his ass up out of that position and get out of there because he can hear these other ones more working in the woods. And he says, I had a beautiful daytime. I'm looking at her and I realize what she's doing. He says, I ran up this hill. I've never, I don't, I'm too old to run. He's like, I got cancer now. I ran up this hill that it took me 20 minutes to climb down to my car. I had to stop halfway and throw up and get to my car. I couldn't, I couldn't get my keys in my car. I sat there with my back against and throwing up. But when, when you hear stories and other stories like that, where this thing was had mercy on him and it was trying to warn him, he realized what she was doing. She's warning him, get out of here right now before my friends get here. So things like that make me struggle with the demon thing. And uh, even Mark DeWorth had uh, a story where one had a uh, when a lawyer went on record after he retired saying that a female Sasquatch saved him when he was lost as a child in the wood and brought him back to the campsite and actually put a log on him so he couldn't move. So when you hear stories like that, it makes me struggle with a demonic explanation. Right. And that reminds me of the, the young boy that disappeared that supposedly was <laughs> found in a blackberry patch with being rescued or housed for a couple of days by what he said were bears, I think. Um, right. You know, friendly bears keeping him alive. I think he was under six years old or something like that. So, yeah, it seems like too simple of an answer for a really complex question. Right. My question to you, David, is do we even know the right questions to ask? That's what I struggle with is I go over the same simple questions. I feel like I don't even have the right questions to ask because this is such a a vast mystery. It's not just if they exist. It's the fact that they do. They seem to have culture, language. Um, family groups beyond what our traditional understanding is of family groups because of the way that they protect them in an instant. What, what's your feeling on that? Do we have the right questions? Well, that's an, actually an excellent question. And uh, the, it seems to be that they keep, it seems like actually most researchers aren't even really asking a whole lot of questions. They're kind of regurgitating the same things about how to cast a footprint and where to send the hair samples. And, and, and some of the big questions that um, that I have, actually, I got them from skeptics. One day, it just it, it just went off. I had this 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 moment where um where guys kept hunters would come in and say, "Do you, do you realize that over a million trail cameras have been sold in the United States over the past fifteen years, and we don't have nobody's got pictures of trail cams? You know, I'm sure there are a few that exist, but where are they?" And I had another witness ask me, um, he says, Dave, if these things are just regular animals, he says, you know, for, f uh, for a minimum of four months of the year, 40% of the United States is covered in snow. Where the hell are all the footprints at? 
Where, where are all the trails? If we have, we have, we've got thousands of Bigfoot that cover the United States. Where in God's name are all the snow trails? Yeah, a few of them are found, but not like there should be if there's a popula minimum population of 3,000, which we know there's way more than that. Where's all the snow tracks at? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and then, of course, you hear questions like, how can we don't find the bones? Well, because porcupines have been known to chew the bones. Well, Florida is number three in the United States in Bigfoot sightings, and Florida does not have porcupines. There are no porcupines in Florida eat bones. So it seems like a lot of these excuses for why we don't find fossils and bones, they just fall absolutely flat. And, and when you really, here, here, here's another question. How can these giant mammals exist in every state in, in the Union, North America, South America, and exist on every continent, Australia, China, Russia? How can they be all over the place? And in no, none of those places do we have a skeleton or a fossil bone. We have a few teeth that they, of course, you know, said they're giant. They just gave it a name, Gigantopithecus. But where are all these bones? How do we have bones for Tyrannosaurus erections that have been gone for millions of years, but somehow we don't have bones or fossils for a creature that exists on every continent currently? Here's another question people, I, I never hear people like ask. How can there be one credible Bigfoot sighting on the island nation of New Zealand? Do a little, I, I asked any Bigfoot researcher, do a little uh, geographical history on how the island nation of New Zealand formed. It doesn't even have a native rat, man. There's no native mammals on the island of New Zealand because it started off as a burning cinder of a volcano and the rest of it rose from the ground, I don't know how many millions of years ago. There's no monkeys in New Zealand. How can there be, there should not be one, one Bigfoot sighting. The only way a Bigfoot can be on the island of New Zealand is if it arrived there on a ship. That's the only one way it could get, it's the only way it can get there. So those are the kind of questions I wish people were asking. Okay. You said that's the only way it can get there, but looking at these non-traditional, more supernatural answers, is it the only way it can get no. there? No. And is, is, that, is that your feeling, though, that there's something supernatural oh, happening? absolutely. Happening? Yeah, it, 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 I'm okay. sure you're, you're familiar with Adam Davies' uh, experience and John Carlson. I spoke to both of them at great length about that, and I, they, they're absolutely telling the truth. And I think that was one of the... One of the uh, stories from two very credible guys that were not looking, they weren't looking for this, you know, neither one of them are happy that this happened to them. It's real baggage for them to drag around. But when, when they tell you what, what they saw, these things coming out of a portal, and then I have witnesses tell me this, that has stepped into a hidden cave or stepped behind a tree. And I heard that, I can't tell how many times. It walked behind a tree and never came out the other side. Uh, or their father saw it step into a hidden doorway in the woods, then you, 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 you either accept reality you, you, or you can just chase your rear end around for your whole life because uh, looking for dens and whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's nice that you're looking for that stuff. It is, but I don't want to be 85 years old mm -hmm. with a casting thing in the woods doing the same thing I did 30 years ago. I just, I don't want to be doing that. So yeah, there's no doubt. We call it supernatural, of course, but we know there's a science behind this stuff. It's just a science we don't understand. We know, we both know it's not magic. We think it's magic because, you know, we can't explain it, but it's in fact, it's just a science we don't understand. 
like wormholes. I mean, they're, they're talking about wormholes now. Some scientists are talking about portals and um, mm-hmm. they're giving some real basis in fact to these things, but they've been talking about these things for a long time. So I think the portal theory uh, has a very strong weight to it. You mentioned into the trees. That's the tagline at the end of the show. I will see you in the trees. Maybe quite literally. I just uh, aired a Patreon episode here that people can listen to over at uh, patreon.com forward slash strange brow with witness Ira Wolfnison, who uh, recently moved underneath Mount Rainier. And she witnessed what she called a black flash jump horizontally into a cottonwood tree. And when it did, it stunned the blue jay and shot the blue jay face down onto the earth below. Now, she was certain, pretty certain, that this thing went into the bark of the tree. I've heard this on at least three occasions, and you say you've heard it numerous times. Do you think there's something special about the trees? And what do you think that is? Oh, you know what? I don't know if there's something special about the trees. A certain tree? I don't know. Um, but that the tree thing that you just mentioned um, has has surfaced several times in in my in my witnesses are also telling me, and I think there's a lot more witnesses out there that saw that, but they're holding back. Uh, they're not including that in there because it's just too. I, I want you to believe me; it's bad enough. I'm telling you about a bigfoot, but I tell you, I saw it walk into a tree. So what the, I've heard before, it walked behind a tree, and we're waiting for it to walk back out, and, and we walk down there, and there's nowhere for it to go. So um, I don't know if it's got something to do with the kind of tree or if it's a special tree. I hope they can do this to any tree. But I found it interesting that I just saw um, a video. Uh, what's it called? Something Enigma. I can't remember. Strange Enigma. Where they were, um, a young boy went missing. And uh, I can't remember when this was back in the, back in the 70s, 1971. And uh, his, when the, they found him alive in a place where he shouldn't even have been. And he said, uh, they asked him where he'd been. He said, uh, I was with, what, he said, I was with a big, a big, a big person and a friendly tree. I was talking to him and I, and I, and I think it was a big person and the friendly tree was taken care of him. And I thought, oh my God, there's that tree thing again. So yeah, you hear these little things that uh, maybe by themselves aren't too much, but when they're all compounded, they're pointing to, to this, I don't know, this thing with trees. My guest today is David Bakara, Expedition Bigfoot, the Sasquatch Museum. David, um, looking into the Bigfoot world can yield some interesting results, especially when you have physical evidence. And some of it's pretty fascinating because it seems to have these unanswered questions. We look at Melba Ketchum's study, who's suddenly just made a, a bold appearance on Facebook after going dark for a while, t- defending her study. Um, and now we find that um, Doug Hycheck, uh, who's never been on social media really before, is coming out and writing a single sheet along with Shelley Covington, Montana, on what they're calling Alba Vernix. Now you've seen Sasquatch handprints. I imagine you know, you know, quite a bit at this point. Um, what do you think it is about latent Sasquatch sebum or the oily handprints that makes them unique, if anything? You know, I've been following that post as well about the sweat pores, and uh, it, it, it's just it, that's going down an avenue 
that I, I don't have any expertise in. And um, I'm trying to figure out more about what these things are, what they're doing here, where they're from, and what are their association with other creatures like dogmen. I get so many reports on. So I, I can't say I've got an opinion about that because I don't know enough about it. I'll leave the scientific minds, strict scientific minds to that stuff. And uh, I don't know enough about it to comment on it. Okay. Have you ever found a handprint? I've got people that have brought me casts of hands. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've got people, I've got pictures of hands, but I really never, uh, I've really, other than it's just a hand, that's about all. It is a whole right. lot of interest for me. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, passing theories is that this uh, chalky white substance is uh, coming from them. And for a long time, people have thought it just been dust. But one of the unique things that I'll mention to you, maybe you've heard of, is that when animals go outside, usually the, you know, the house dog goes out into the tree line, he'll come back with a white coat uh, suddenly. Um, so that's, that's, that's the theory is that Sasquatches somehow maybe befriended your animals. I've heard this before from people that also have dogman stuff. Um, in particular, there's an extended experiencer in Montana that has Sasquatch and dogman stuff and they describe such a thing. So there seems to be a kinship with uh, the house animals. Do you think that uh, bringing your animals out in the woods is a, is a bad idea when you're going Bigfooting? I don't think, I think it's a great idea. <clears throat> Matter of fact, um, I had a guy call me from Talking Rock, which is about 25, 30 miles south of where I'm at right now. He's got dogs. He's got, he keeps finding footprints. He's finding things, sounds coming from the woods. His kids say a, a strange hairy man is looking in their windows at night. And he says uh, he, he wants he wants to know if there's something he can do to, to get, you know, to get friendly with this thing. I said, one thing, don't keep your dogs. Watch your dogs. They're going to tell you, you know, they're going to let you know when they're around. And two, I said, just forget it. Put cameras up and get rid of these things on your property. If you've got small kids in the house. This is something you want to do when you're by yourself. You know, if, if you're a, a single or just you and your wife living out somewhere, if you've got kids in the house, don't take the chance. I said, absolutely. Get, just forget it. Don't get interested in these things. I said, just get rid of them. Um, putting cameras, pull any food in here. But uh, it's reminding me about the dogs. He said, his dogs react to them. I said, watch your dogs. But uh, I don't, I don't think anybody with kids, in my opinion, because I'm, I've got I've got kids and grandkids, and I'm so protective of them. Don't take the chance. Um, just don't take the chance. It doesn't mean you have to hang out with a gun, but um, anybody hiking should have a dog with them. If you've got a dog, take it with you. And um, and I'm not trying to give anybody the impression I think these things are are all mean. But uh, if there's one around, you might want to know about it. And, uh, and your dog will definitely alert you to it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I see trees in the background there. Are you in a in a hot zone, in a hot spot yourself? Oh, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of it, of a, of a hot spot. And um, and I don't, I don't leave things out for them. Um, I don't really want them on my property. Not that I don't like them, but I don't really want that kind of interaction. I really like my life the way it is. I know it sounds crazy because some people... There's so, so many people that want to really get in, in touch with these things. But I love my life the way it is so much right now. I, they would just so overly complicate it. It, just, it would really make a mess of it um, for some people. And uh, 
they, they want that, but I don't, I, I want to learn what they are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't leave food out my, when we first moved here, I'm not, I'm on a ridge. I mean, there's Bigfoot sightings all around me. There was one at the end of the block where a guy that owns a, uh, a, uh, glass business saw two of them had taken up refuge in a house under construction. I could almost hit it with a rock. Um, that's what, this is about uh, nine, 10 years ago. They, they pulled in branches and made a bed in the, there's no doors or windows. It was just framed out. There weren't any windows or doors, no appliances in it. They pulled in branches and made a big bed and they'd been raiding the garbage around here and eating the garbage and they stuffed the garbage into the, into the bowels. And it was, so it was garbage and, and uh, big branches in there. They made a big bed on the, on the wood floor in there. So uh, yeah, I'm in the thick of it right here. I'm, I'm on a ridge. Um, in LJ, Georgia, and I did not even know when I moved here that we were in the thick of it until I started meeting all these people, started coming to the museum. And Toby, there's some days I get so many reports in there. I'm talking to so many people when I tell you about the Bigfoot sightings. By one o'clock, I'm shut down. Like I can't take, I can't, right. I can't process anymore right. because it's never like it's never a 15 minute story. It's an hour <laughs> right. and a half, right? Right. Same right. things, and they just want to get it off their chest. And God bless them. I totally understand it, but. But mm-hmm. uh, one Saturday, I got eight sightings. By four o'clock, I was afraid to even mention the word Bigfoot. I just wanted to give them the talk. And, you know, I, was, I couldn't take another couldn't take another report. So, uh, yeah, we really are in the thick of it. And I think if you open up a museum like this in, Nor- in uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, or Kentucky, it'd be the same thing. There's nothing special about where I live. Mm-hmm. This it's mountainous. It's it's, ter- it's uh, terrain. We've got apples that grow up around here. There's, it's the same thing no matter where you go. There's plenty of wild food, plenty of agriculture out there, plenty of chickens and goats for these things. And I really think that there's when – when people say we only know about maybe one out of every 100 sightings, it's probably more like one out of every 200 sightings because the people that have come out of the woods up here with sightings, uh, police, nurses, truck drivers, just every walk of life has blown me away. There's so many sightings on the map in the lobby now. I can't put any more on the big lit map because the whole map would fall in on itself. So I have to put the local ones up here. So, uh, yeah, I'm in the thick of it right here. There's no doubt, but, uh, we're probably all are in the thick of it. We just don't know it. It sounds like they're right on your property at times. Is that the case? I hope not. Okay. <laughs> I've only what got- do you mean? What, what do you mean by that? You have, you seen signs? I have not. Uh, my wife seems to think she's seen signs sometimes. Um, I find sticks shoved into the ground, and then I am not the guy that goes to Bigfoot. Every time I see a broken branch, I do not go to Bigfoot. I, I really have you got to almost prove it to me. You know, what I'm saying I have to be able to to uh, eliminate all other things before I go to Bigfoot. So uh, when I tell you about my thoughts, I am not a go to Bigfoot guy right off the bat. I'm not like that. And uh, my wife sees things on here that she thinks are are Bigfoot related. I, I don't see them. And uh, I'm not on my property anyway, but uh, I talked to a lot of hunters that have had these things right under the tree stand. I've got police officers that have shot them up here. Uh, right in my, uh-huh. I mean, real close to where I live. So now you wait, hold on. Now you seem apprehensive to talk a, a little bit about your property having activity. Would it bother you if they came around, whether you liked yeah, it or not, I, to the degree I, where you'd, you'd want to move? Uh, I, I'd find a way to get rid of them. And I, you yeah, would? I'd put up lights. <laughs> I, I can get, I know how to get rid of them. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I've got cameras now on my property. 
those blink cameras, those are awesome systems. I just put some more security lights up mm -hmm. last night. And that's only because I've got an outbuilding now, mm -hmm. my wife, which is our office. So she's got to walk to the end of our park. It's dark. I mean, we have the only street right. light up here. If I didn't have this street light up at night, it, I mean, it is pitch dark up here. And uh, so there's no mm -hmm. doubt that they're right in my neighborhood, but I don't want them in my property. Mm -hmm. I don't want them, I don't want them looking at my house because uh, uh -huh. and it's not because I don't like them because I don't know yeah. who, which one it is. And um, I've heard enough horror stories, Toby, that um, yeah, I'm not going to take a chance. Not with my wife. It'd be one thing if right. I was by myself, not with my mm -hmm. wife and my grandkids coming here. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, one of the, um, one of the rumors out that Bob Bigelow gave up uh, Skinwalker Ranch is because he was bringing his work home with him. And, um, you know, that goes into the supernatural, the hitchhiker phenomena, that things are following you back. When you have physical evidence, such as a hair, talk to someone like Mel Scahan, uh, other witnesses that believe that there's some kind of connection to that. Do you not have any physical specimens in your house? No, I don't keep Nothing. anything. Everything's at the museum. And I uh -huh. think there's stuff going on at the museum, but I don't keep, okay. any, I don't keep any of that stuff here. And, uh, but, but I have not heard about, I've, I'm a avid, I love hearing about Skinwalker Ranch. And, mm -hmm. um, that's another one of those pieces of the puzzle that have, have mm -hmm. propelled me into the supernatural part of Bigfoot, and it, which is a terrible word. We know it's just a science that we don't understand yet, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's really something to that about bringing stuff mm -hmm. home and, and I, I don't want that stuff following me to my house. So can we talk about what's happening at the museum? Yeah. Okay. You first. Um, <laughs> well, uh, the people that work there started telling me things like they, they hear their name called for, for instance, I'm like, and, uh, I'm in there one day vacuuming by myself, getting ready to open up for the day. And I hear well, clearly Dave coming from the other room. I thought somebody was there before we opened up over my vacuum i can hear somebody yell my name shut the vacuum i'm like i'm like hello hello and i walk up there's nobody there I'm like, well there's got to be somebody here because i know what i heard it wasn't a faint little dave i mean it was loud i walked all over my building and there was no, what ran outside there's no car there's nobody in there so um and and uh like i, I don't I'm not a ghost guy because ghosts freak me out a little bit because, you know, they can, they can come whisper in your ear when you're sleeping and whatnot. Uh, I don't want that stuff either. So and, uh, oh, what else? Oh, my goodness. We've had, I don't know, five different ghost hunter teams spend the night at the museum. And they, mm -hmm. I say, you, handle, you talk that to them. Don't tell me anything mm -hmm. because there's hair samples. There's there's uh, original footprints in there. There's uh Oh my God, all that retired Yeti expedition gear, uh, it's, it's all out on display there. And uh, so I tell, I tell Melinda, I, I said, you handle the ghost guys. If I got an interesting recording. I go, I don't want to hear it. But I told my wife and when my wife hears it, I don't want to hear about it. Don't tell me because I'm in there in the dark by mm -hmm. myself all the time, man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I have to walk in there. It's all dark. Yeah. I got to walk in there and find the light switches and everything. Mm -hmm. I don't need that up here. Mm -hmm. Right. That, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep that. My wife handles all that. I tell her, unless, mm -hmm. unless it's something dangerous, don't tell me. 
They just, they handled it all themselves. I don't want to know about it. Wow. Okay. So was there any rumor before you bought the property that the place could be haunted? Um, there wasn't because I've never met anybody that, uh, that worked there or uh, when I got in there, that it wasn't, I never met a previous owner or anything. It was actually pretty empty when I got in there, thankfully. But um, they had like a seance or something in there and some fellow said he was killed in there and they gave him his name and, you know, Oh, so That's you've, all I know. You've, you've like, heard a little I'm bit. <laughs> right, right, right. Hmm. You know, this. you talked earlier, uh, coming full circle, that uh, this is all interconnected like a yeah. spider web, sticky like a spider web too. And we found the same, uh, you know, talking to extended experiencers and all the goings on here at the house and goings on in Cottage Grove with the Al Moon Lab, there seems to be this interconnected quality that's uncomfortable for most people that go with the Newtonian science answer of this conundrum. Why do you think that spider web exists with this? I'll tell you, um, I'll, tell you I'll tell you in a nutshell what I think is, um, is the simple answer to this. And when it's all when I say it's all connected, when you think about Bigfoot and then Dogman, and, and I've met just incredibly honest Mothman witnesses, UFO witnesses, and you've got uh, entities coming into people's homes. You've got I've met people who have seen live pterodactyls fly right over their hunting stand. Uh, I, you see, you meet all these people. I've met people who have seen Champ in Lake Champlain in New York. Okay. So you've got these living dinosaurs, you've got these flying things, you've got pterodactyls, Bigfoot, Dogman, not only just Bigfoot, but how about all kinds of colors of Bigfoot, white, brown, blue. So then you've got ghosts and the paranormal. So when you have this whole, this whole, this whole um, arc, it's not even an arc, it's a full circle of all this phenomenon going on. And here we are in the middle which the common denominator is we're in the middle we're interacting with all these things and but we we think that these things are all unusual and paranormal but the simple really answer is that there's so many strange things going on it's way easier to uh, to believe that that the real paranormal the real thing that's not normal is mankind which is right in the middle these things are all normal we in our belief system and our place in on our position in this place on this planet my opinion is probably what's not normal well that, that is why that's how it comes down to it is that when people say that what humans evolved that we are evolved into this mm -hmm. i mean bigfoots are the most perfect they're like the perfect organism mm -hmm. the perfect hunting apex predator on this planet but mm -hmm. we we evolved like we're evolved and you see pictures of humans cavemen with skins on hovering over a fire and does that look like an evolved super evolved creature to me it looks like a refugee trying to buy time so they can find some they don't even look like how can these cavemen be that can that be evolved we're covered in skins with fire to keep warm so they don't freeze to death that we've got these creatures running rampant perfectly evolved so i think somehow we're not the normal one. All these things are perfectly normal, mm -hmm. but we are not. We are, there's more, the secret mm -hmm. to all these things they're keeping from us is the really comes down to the secret of who we are. 
And that is really what they do. they're trying to keep from us. If you find out what Bigfoot is, if you find out what Dogman is, if you mm-hmm. find out what UFOs are, find out what ghosts are, it all comes right back to who we are. And that, in my opinion, is probably what the big secret is. That's what they talk about, the breakdown of religion, the breakdown of civilization. It's who we actually are. That's the big secret. David, I recently uh, talked privately with someone that works uh, security clearances at Fort Lewis here in Washington State, and they profess to know everything about what it takes to get a security clearance on the base. There's reports that out of Fort Lewis of um, not only a lot of Sasquatch stuff, but kill teams that uh, come out of Fort Lewis, military kill teams. Have you heard anything about that on the East Coast? I I have heard about that. And I'm trying to think if I've ever had anybody come to the museum part of a kill team. I have not. I have lots of military uh, have come. Um, but not, um, I've never met anybody associated with the kill team, but I'm familiar with the story. Okay. Yeah, I am too. I I haven't been able to confirm this, um, with anybody at a base, but if you're listening, get a hold of me or you can get a hold of David. Mm -hmm. And that way you get a hold of David, by the way, is uh, expedition Bigfoot Blue Ridge, expedition Bigfoot Blue Ridge at gmail.com. Uh, David Bakara is our guest again, Expedition Bigfoot, the Sasquatch Museum in Blue Ridge, Georgia. All right, so you have plans to open in more museums, David. Tell us about that. Yeah, and so over the years, I never thought I'd, I'd fill this museum, but not only have I filled it, but now I've got three storage units packed jam full of uh, more artifacts, prints, um, ancient clay figures, um, depicting, you know, strange creatures. Um, I, I've, I've got so many things that try to bring it all together. It's not just about Sasquatch. I've got things, artifacts from Lake Monsters. Um, oh my God, Chad Lewis and the, uh, oh, some of the pterodactyl reports he's taken. Um, I've got some of the stuff like that. And um, so we're opening up, and I'm actually, I'm headed to Texas next week to pick up two large artifacts that are too big to ship. I got to get a van to go over and get them. So they're going to be in this new museum, which is really going to pull it all together. So I'm literally putting my money where my mouth is. I'm not just going to tell you. I'm going to build a museum that's going to pull it all together. But what you have to do is you have, when you build, it's going to be bigger than what I have now. It's mm-hmm. going to be twice as much money, I'm sure, to start this thing out. But, but you have to put it so that when you get to get, you don't want to freak people out. You need to come in and see what's there and then have the, don't do their thinking for them. Just give them the evidence, show them what you got, show mm-hmm. them what good witnesses are showing, show them the physical evidence, and they'll do it themselves. There's nothing you're going to say to mm-hmm. convince them of one way or the other. All you can do is give them the, what, the best way that you can give it to them, and they'll let them do the rest. So, this, yeah, this new museum is going to be about what a fantastically unusual planet we really live on. We're going to bring it all together. and. Um, it's, I probably spent more time designing this one than I did the one I have now. But right now we're looking for a building. I need a, at least a 10, if not a 12,000 square foot building with enough parking for 60 cars. I've been to Helen. I've been north of Atlanta. I've been to Tennessee. I've been over to Dalton, Georgia. I'm headed to, uh, I'm headed to Texas. I'm actually may have to look at building the building 
so that I get what I want because I'm not, uh, I can't, I'm not going to do a smaller building. I can't do a smaller parking lot. I've got to have what I need. I know what I need to, to put it together. If I'm going to have a hundred thousand people come through this place a year, I have to have the building big enough to house all this stuff. And again, this is not just a Bigfoot museum. You're going to put a lot of other cryptids in here as well. Yeah, I've got okay. uh, I've got a lot of Bigfoot stuff's going to go in there. There's going to be Dogman in there. There's going to be Mothman stuff in there. I've made friends with lots of artists that do fantastic recreation work in there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the reports I took that have strange. For, I'll go a little bit a little bit into the stranger stuff. You'll have to if you're going to have Mothman and Dogman in there. But um, oh my God, there's going to be UFO stuff in there. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness, I've made friends with great UFO witnesses. They were going to actually donate the clothes that they were wearing when they were abducted along with the oh, story. Wow. Oh yeah, man. It's, it's uh, and that stuff's out there, but you know, it just takes years and it just takes years of breaking those barriers down where mm-hmm. people will trust you and, uh, and, uh, and to get that stuff. So it's taken five years to get mm-hmm. enough stuff to open it. And I'm still collecting stuff. This could be a big place. That's exciting. That, yep. Again, do we have an opening day? You don't have the building yet, but do you do you have a day in mind? Like, I need to finish this by 2023, 2024? Oh, I want it done by 2022. Okay. Yeah, I want it done by I want it done by next year. I have the stuff. I already know how to do it. I really only need once I get the building. I only need maximum six months. I could probably get it done in four months. Um, and I've got a, a lot of guys that artists and construction guys that can help. We've already worked together. So we can have this place up. And of course, once you open it, it never stops. Like the museum, I'm still adding stuff to the museum we have here, tweaking things. And um, I don't sit on my hands real good. I like to stay busy. But yeah, this new place is going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be the culmination of a lot of researchers' work, other researchers that I'm in friend of. I don't do it all myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I depend on other researchers out there. That's why when the researchers come to the museum, I never charge them. I go, they, they want to argue with me. They want to pass. I can't, I can't take your money. You don't understand. This, this place is a testament. This museum is a testament to all the efforts that researchers have put in there. I can't take your money. If it wasn't for people like you, this place wouldn't be here. So, um, yeah. Well, there's I, a perk I, I didn't know about. There you go. Any researcher. No, yeah, if you come in and you're a researcher, they'll <laughs> tell me when they come in. There's no charge right. for you to come in. Yeah. Fantastic. Um Man, oh man. Okay, so the final question when I was on mute here, Erin was yelling up the stairs to make sure I asked you. She wants to know the strangest witness testimony you've ever heard. Yeah. I'll tell you, this one really, this, this one changed me. It affected me. It affected me a lot because it's, it's so terrifying. The implications are horrifying. And um, um, I, had, I had older gentlemen come into the museum. Oh. Oh, there we go. We got you back. Go yep. ahead. An old gentleman came to the museum, very well dressed, probably seventy-ish, maybe, and uh, well dressed. He had his he had his wife, and I didn't know at the time when he started to me about. He later introduced his son, his son's wife, and all their kids, his grandkids. So there was probably I don't know six people standing around with this guy, and he says, "I had my my family bring me here. I just happened to be there that day." My family bring me here so I can tell somebody the story before I die. He said, I was raised here in this town where the museum's at in LJ. And he says, when I was young, when I was young, I was living with my family on a farm. 
and I had this neighbor kid on the farm that lived in the farm next to me, but I didn't know him really well. We went to school together, but our properties were so big, we didn't really hang out at normally well. He said, at the time I had, I had got a van. And he says, it was, it was like a, one of these old custom vans, you know, but there was just a couple seats in it. And he said, and I had these two girls, these two sisters from school, and they, he even gave me their names. And he said, they still live here. They're both still alive. There's two sisters. He said, it was just me and I, I asked my friend, my neighbor to come from school that I didn't know very well. And another friend and these two girls, so there's five of them in this van. And they go up to the top of Tolona Mountain, which is three miles from where I'm sitting right now. She says, we, go, we had some beer in the van. And so we were just going to go up there and talk, just drink some beer. We, didn't, we weren't smoking dope or anything back then. He says, we just, we just had some beer. We just taking my van up the mountain. As we get there, I'm driving. The girl sitting, one of the girls sitting in the front seat next to me. The other girl sitting facing the other side of the van with my, where this friend I didn't know very well, my neighbor was sitting. And then my other buddy from school was sitting all the way in the back on that bench against the back doors that opened. He says, we get there. He said, I hadn't, we hadn't even had a beer yet. He says, I can't remember if it was dark or not. I don't remember. Oh, yes, it was dark. And he says, we're talking. And I'm looking up. The girl's talking to me next to me. We're all in the van. I don't think we didn't even crack the beer yet. And all of a sudden, the girl, her eyes get huge. And she starts to scream. I'm thinking, what in the God? She's looking behind me. She says, I turn around. And where this guy was sitting, my neighbor that I didn't know very well, he says, he's not sitting there anymore. What's sitting there is a giant, hairy man. And he says, this thing is doing this. It's looking around like it's shocked that we can see it. He said, now, my friend's not there anymore. This thing is there in his place. And I, de- I never thought to ask him, was this thing wearing clothes? I, w- I would just like, it, n- it didn't occur to me to ask him. So I don't know if it was wearing the kid's clothes or if it was just full of hair. I don't know. He said, it's shocked looking around like this. And they're all screaming at it. And it's got this look like, oh, my God, I've screwed up. They can see me. He says, I reach over to my, to the, my handle to open my door to bail out. He says, my hand accidentally hits the interior light. Now the interior, now the whole van is lit up. All the lights are on on the van. As he's jumping out, he turns on one more time to make sure this thing is not lit over his shoulder. And his friend is back there again, doing this, like looking, doing the same thing this thing was doing. It ain't there no more. His friend is there now. And he says, we, I started the van. We got the hell out of there. I never saw my friend again. Within two months, they sold that farm and moved away. They moved on. He said, these two girls couldn't even function. Their mother had to take them to Atlanta to get um, counseling so they could, they could sleep. They, couldn't even, they were having nightmares. I don't know what happened to the other buddy that was in the very back of the van. I didn't hear anything about him. But when he told me that, as he's telling me the story, I'm just like, are you kidding me? And I'm looking. Anytime somebody comes telling me a story, I don't just look at them. I look at but the side of my beard, I look and see what their families are. Are they looking at their watch? Are they looking down at their feet? Do I get the impression that they don't believe him? I'm, I'm just kind of taking a truth testimony here. I'm kind of, and those people were standing next to their grandpa. They were right with them. So when he was telling this story, they were there in solidarity. And I knew immediately this guy was telling me the absolute truth. And it was a truth that I had no idea what to do with. I had no idea where to put this. Um, I had no idea, but this man was absolutely as honest as he could be. And I'm still struggle with that story that he told me. 
He left, told me the girls' names. I wrote them down. These girls are probably going to be in their 70s as well by now. And um, so that, that's probably the strangest story I ever heard. The giant hairy man was sitting where this kid was sitting. And as soon as they hit the lights, he was gone and he was back. But um, doing the same thing, looking around. So does it lend to the shapeshifter? I don't know. Are these things actually living amongst us, these Bigfoots? The reason we can't find them because they don't, they don't always look like they look. They could look like that. Is this, is this why there are so many stories of Bigfoots mm -hmm. wearing clothes? I've taken those stories. Bigfoots mm -hmm. wearing clothes. I don't know. Yeah. It, it gets into a realm, Toby, that will keep grown men up at night. You know, that really does strike fear that you don't know what's real, what's around you. And uh, that's my phone, just getting low. So uh, that's the strangest story I ever heard. And that's probably the one I think the most about. And um, it, had, it had big uh, implications for me in the directions I went. That's why I say, I just don't go out looking for him anymore. <laughs> right. I got things to do. Brother. That story you know will do it. That story yeah. will do it. I'm going to need therapy after that one. That <laughs> definitely qualifies as the strangest story. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love it, though, and uh, it's perfect for our audience. Our guest today is David Bacara, Expedition Bigfoot, the Sasquatch Museum. Open seven days a week, it says. Is that right? Are you open every We're day? Open seven days a week, and it takes three people to man the museum every day. Yep. And COVID restrictions totally lifted. Do people have to mask up now? Negative. Okay. All right. They can breathe heavy all they want along with the Sasquatch. It's over there off of 1934 Highway 515 in Blue Ridge, Georgia, 30513. Then get a hold of them there at, uh, it says 704-946-2601. Yep. And a lot of, Is that your and phone and number? A lot of the stories that I share, I put them on our Facebook page mm -hmm. free. I don't, I don't put them in a book. People ask me, why don't you write a book? I'd rather give it to you for free. So a lot of the stories over the years, I've posted them right on our Facebook page. If you want to read some fascinating Bigfoot stories, right, it's all free right there. Are you taking um, donations still? If people have castings yes. or th things that they want to donate to the museum, they don't know what to do with, can they get a hold yes, of you? Yes, you can reach me on my email, which is dbacara at msn.com, or you can reach me at the museum. Um, through Facebook, or you can reach me through Facebook as well. So under my name, right under my name, David Bacara. Yeah, B-A-K-A-R-A is how you spell yeah. that. Yeah, perfect. David, I appreciate your time. Hopefully it's not the last time we talk. Maybe someday you and I will um, sit on that patio sometime and uh, trade some stories together. It was my pleasure. Thank you, my friend. It was good to see you. Good to see you. Have a great evening. You too, my friend. God bless. Bye-bye. That is David Becerra over at the Expedition Bigfoot Sasquatch Museum. I think I've been saying Cara, David Becerra. It's Kara with an era, and I am the big era there, so sorry about that, David. Check him out at the Expedition Bigfoot Sasquatch Museum in Georgia. I'll have to make my way over there and buy myself a box of peaches and go see some Sasquatch stuff. I urge you to do the same. Also, don't forget coming up, as I said, at Manresa Castle, Podcastle is back. We're shooting for October 27th. Pencil that in. Don't write it in blood. I think that that is the date. I think it's going to be at 7 o'clock streaming. Put that up over at Strange Brow Radio at YouTube. If you haven't gone over to the YouTube channel, go do it now because chances are that you've missed a lot of stuff 
a lot of videos that haven't come out as podcasts. So unless you hit that subscribe button, you won't know when I post some crazy stuff, including coming up my strange stroll over at Northern State Mental Asylum, a.k.a. The Farm. And I'm going to have to go back there even a third time because there's just too much snooping to do. So if you want to support the show, you can always go to strangebrowradio.com. Check out our merchandise section there. You'll find cool shirts. I don't know if you necessarily want a hoodie unless you live in a place where winter's approaching. Uh, but they're always great to have a Strange Brow Radio hoodie. And if you can and you want to support the show even further, go over to patreon.com forward slash strangebrowradio and become an exclusive member of our 369 Club where you get weekly shows and that's where we are over at patreon thanks again for listening of course we'll be back with episode three of season three shortly within the next couple weeks so stay tuned for that as well hope you're having a great summer thus far be careful out there when you're on the water especially i myself have had a couple of close calls on the water so be mindful All right, that's it for me. Have a great day, and of course, I will see you in the trees.